Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. up 11 how you guys doing you made it to church today uh, we're so glad that you're here with us my name is Brian I'm one of the pastors here and if you're new we're just glad that you're here with us and honored that you'd spend Sunday morning together with us and, and we'll get into kind of the text and the conversation here in just a minute but I want to start off by talking about what's coming up for us as ACF Church this is Easter season we're coming up on really my favorite time of the year into Easter Sunday uh, for a church that's a that's a big deal a uh, big time of year a few things that you need to be really aware of um, and if you're kind of getting sick of hearing about this you might just remember it next week, which would be great. So we're trying to make sure that we uh, let this word out so people know where to be over the next course uh, of this summer. And so here's what's going on is we're going to be doing a major remodel in this room. And what that means is we're going to be out of this building for the summer. So starting Easter weekend, we're going to be meeting at Eagle River High School at 9 and 11 a.m. So you just need to kind of keep that in mind. That also means that this next Wednesday is our final Wednesday service for the summer which all the Wednesday people are like, oh, so sad. And if you were thinking about migrating to Wednesday because you like to be camping on the weekends, um, I guess you're just going to have to schedule your camping around church. So I don't know what to tell you. But uh, this summer, 9 and 11 a.m. at Eagle River High School every single week, that's what's going down, and we are so excited about that. We're going to be remodeling this place. It's going to look completely different when we get back in this fall. So excited for that as well. Also, we put the word out that we needed uh, to build some teams for setup and teardown for mobile church. And I just got to give you guys prop, like 80 of you signed up for that. We got 80 people signed up. That's amazing. Um, I'm just always amazed by you guys. Seriously, I've never been a part of a church where we, we, don't, we don't get up here and uh, guilt you into things. We just mention a need and you step up and you meet it. And so I love that. That's going to be our setup and teardown teams over the course of the summer. And it's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I want you to grab the cards that were on your seat. Would you do that? Uh, and if you're online, I don't know what to tell you. Write some names down. Here's what we're doing. We're doing invite cards for our, our friends. We have five cards. And what I want you to do, we're going to actually stop right now for 60 seconds and I want you to think about the names of five people that God has put around you somewhere in your life. Maybe they're just people that you interact with at work or uh, throughout your day. But we believe that God has placed us as um, agents of grace to amplify the grace of Jesus in Eagle River, in Anchorage, in Wasilla, and around the world. And what that means is 
Uh, we want to invite a lot of those people to Easter in Eagle River. We've got an exciting opportunity there. Uh, this time of year, people are really responsive and open to an invitation to church. And so what I want you to do is grab a pen, just kind of, you can dig around in the, ch- in the seat in, behind you or underneath your chair, but find a pen somewhere. And I want you to write down the names of five different people on these five different invitation cards. If you're online, I want you to just write those names on a slip of paper somewhere. And in just a minute, we're going to pray for those people. Uh, We really believe that life is a mission. It's not a vacation. And we believe that, as Jesus said, to love our neighbors, that you actually have to cross the street to love your neighbor. You can't do it from the other side of the road. You actually got to get in their life and risk the relationship and have some awkward conversations once in a while. But I just want you to know it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And every single Easter, we see people take their first step in Jesus. Uh, Maybe they've been to church for years, but every year we see someone that the the, the time is right for them to take a step forward. And so that's our prayer for your friends. So take a moment, write those names down, and I will pray for us in just a second. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab those little cards and just hold them in your hand, would you? Just hold them in your hands in front of you. If you're online, grab the little slip of paper. And these cards, this paper represents five souls, five people that we are believing that God is wanting to reach with the gospel. That These are people that matter to him and that matter to us and um, that bear the image of God and, and that we want to pray for together. So would you just hold those little cards and, and we're going to pray together for these people. Jesus, thank you so much for the people in our lives. Thank you so much that, God, you have placed us in an, in an opportunity to influence them for your kingdom. Father, would you give us the words to say in just the right time, in the right moment, to invite them to church? And God, we know that uh, church can just be a first step for people or we know that in one moment, in one moment, you can change a life for the rest of eternity. And so that's our prayer, that you do that in many lives and, and in the lives of these five people that we're praying for, God. Give us courage where we don't have courage uh, and give us the grace to give to others. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So keep praying for them. Uh, we're excited about Easter. But we are in a series called Grave Digger. And this is a, a conversation about God's grace given to us and how he covers all of our shame. And so we're spending three weeks talking about how shame has impacted our lives and affected us, maybe in ways that many of us don't even realize. And last week we talked about the source of shame, where it comes from, how it all started, and just this reality that we were never created to experience shame. We went back to Genesis 2 and saw how man and woman were in the garden. They were naked and they felt no shame, right? And which is crazy. We're like, ah, it seems like an uncomfortable place to be. But that's how humanity began. It's naked and feeling no shame. Then they believed this lie that they could be the judge of themselves and of others. And from that moment on, we have felt the effects of those lies. And so they start off this, this experience in the world with just enjoying God who's enjoying them. 
And then sin enters the world, and then all of a sudden they're guilty. And in that guilt, they feel shame and fear for the first time. And when they feel that shame and fear, when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God then goes searching for them, right? But they're hidden. They've hidden in the bushes. And so from this shame and fear, what we experience is hiding and blaming. So not only do they hide, but then they also blame each other for their sin, which we're all guilty of that as well. And so that enters into this cycle of shame and fear that leads to, you know, to hiding and blaming, which leads back to shame and fear. And we've all been in this cycle before. And the only way really to break out of this is something called repentance, which is the word metanoia, meaning to change your mind, to think differently about ourselves, to think differently about God, to think differently about others. And when that happens, we can start believing the truth again about who we were created to be. And so this is the journey that we're on to deal with the fear and the shame in our lives. And we said this, that shame is a grave digger. That's what it is. Shame digs some graves. You got some graves in your life? I know I've got some places of death and loss in my life from the decisions I've made. But if shame is a grave digger, what we, what we acknowledge and celebrate every Easter is that Jesus is a grave robber. That he actually wants to bring life where there's death. He wants to resurrect the dead things in our lives. And that's what we celebrate every single Easter as he comes to seek and save that which is lost. And so for you, I don't know where the graves are in your life. I don't know if it's, you know, that season of life that you kind of made a lot of bad choices or if it's that road trip with your friends that you just wish you could forget about. Or maybe it's that time in college um, where you just wanted to kind of explore all of the many opportunities that you had. You made some bad choices. Or maybe it's that first marriage or that second marriage. Or it could be that third, fourth, fifth marriage or that guy or girl Or that conversation where you said some things that you are not proud of, but we all feel some shame. These are graves in our lives that Jesus wants to rob the grave. He actually wants to heal these old wounds and remove our shame. And today I want to talk about the connection between shame and empty religion. I want to talk about the connection between shame and empty religion. Now Jesus, when he, when he walked the earth, what we see in his words is he reserved some of the harshest words for the religious leaders of his day. And that those religious leaders, they, they looked really good on the outside. Like, they, their life looked like they were together. Um, they did a lot of really good things. And yet on the inside, there was all this this guilt and shame that they were actually dealing with. They, they didn't really uh, receive grace from God. They were earning their grace before God, and they would put that load upon others. And Jesus talks about it like they tie up these heavy burdens, and they place it on other people, and, and they themselves don't lift a finger, right? So Jesus, it, it was never the, the, the tax collector or the prostitute that he was really harsh with. It was always these, these religious leaders because they were promoting this empty sort of religion, this twisted uh, version of what we're actually supposed to experience. And so I would explain it sort of like this. I've got a shovel here. This is the shovel from the video, by the way. Pretty awesome. So I would say this. If shame is a grave digger, then that makes us the shovel. So stick with me here. When we give way to shame in our lives, we become instruments of our own self-destruction. We strive to earn the acceptance that was fully purchased on the cross, and every good deed leaves us buried deeper and deeper in feelings of separation from God. Have you ever felt that before? Have you felt like, man, I'm just like, I'm doing so much for God, but it feels like he's a long ways away? 
You've been to church for a lot of years, or you find yourself praying and you know, doing really good things, but in all of that, it just seems like God is, is so unattainable, right? We just can't, we can't create a, a relationship with him. There's something that's broken between us and God, no matter how hard we work. And for some of you, that's why you left the church years ago. It's because you just kept trying and working and doing, and it never seemed to fix what was broken in your relationship with God. For a lot of people, they start doing really good things for the wrong reasons, right? Maybe you feel some guilt, and that's why you're at church this morning, because you know what you did last night, or you know what you did last weekend, and you're like, I got to get me to church on Sunday morning. Uh, Or maybe for you, when when the offering basket is passed around at the end of service, you sort of take an inventory of the good things and the bad things that you do this week. And when the bad things outweigh the good things, you put a little more money in the offering plate, right? You feel this this kind of tendency to try to to pay some, some penance for your sins, that you're continuing to try to pay for what you've done. And so from the outside, people are like, look at how generous he is. You know, look at, look at all the good ministry that she does. But you know that there's just something wrong here, that you have become an instrument of your own self-destruction. Shame is a grave digger, and then you have become the shovel. You're a tool for shame. And that is not a great place to relate, to relate and experience God. Here's what we know about guilt, because we're all guilty. We all feel something, is that guilt creates separation. It creates separation. When I have guilt in my life, it creates a wall between me and other people. Um, I, I see this in, in our church all the time. People will be struggling. They'll have uh, something going on in their marriage. Maybe they've made some bad choices, or uh, they'll be dealing with an addiction of some kind. And when that happens, the first impulse for most people is to pull out of community. That's the first thing that most people feel like, I want to get away from all of these Christians. I want to get away from uh, the church, Right? And to some degree, people almost feel like they're running from God. And this is what guilt does, is it causes us to run away. It creates separation between us and other people. So for me, I've had a lot of experiences like this, uh, a lot of different moments of separation from my sense of guilt. Um, So when I was a kid, I was a very curious kid. Um, I was always the one that needed to experience things tangibly. I couldn't just take anybody else's word for it, which meant... Um, as my dad used to say, son, you've always got to learn the hard way, don't you? Um, and that is just the story of my life. Learn the hard way. And so as I got older, I, I remember turning 18. And uh, the age of 18 is like, it's kind of a big deal, right? Especially in our culture. And there's all this new stuff to experience when you're 18. So I remember my 18th birthday, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I, and I was like, what are all the things that I can do now that I'm 18 that I couldn't do when I was 17? right? And then the goal was, let's just try to do those things. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go to like a rated R movie later on tonight. Uh, I'm going to start off by going and buying a package of cigarettes. So that's what I did. I went and bought a package of cigarettes. I didn't even smoke. So I got these cigarettes. They just kind of sat in my car for six months. I didn't know what to do with them. But I was like, but I'm 18 and I'm going to buy some smoke. So I got some hit cigarettes. And then I hatched this plan because the next thing that popped in my mind that I could do now that I was 18 was I could purchase some reading material from the gas station down the road that I couldn't purchase when I was 17. And so I I made this plan about 9 o'clock at night. I was going to go to this little gas station and buy some some magazines. And so I did. I, I go to the gas station. I open up the door. And I don't know what was going on, but it was full of people. 
They're like buying Kit Kats and donuts and coffee. There's people everywhere. And I'm already kind of embarrassed because I know what I'm there to do, right? And so I, I go to the corner and I'm like, like standing there looking at the different sodas, not doing much, waiting for all these people to leave. I'm sure the lady behind the counter thought I was casing the joint, like I was going to you know, steal something or you know, shoot her in the face. I don't know. But, she, but it, I just remember I was just standing there, and then everybody left. And so now it's just me and this lady. And I'm like, okay, this is my, this is my chance. So I go, and I grab my magazine, and I lay it on the counter. And, and, and right about then, it dawned on me that I was going to have to interact with another human being for this to be a legal purchase, Right? And so she looks at me and she goes, how, how will you be paying, right? And um, my first impulse was uh, the posture of shame, which is this, right? If you find yourself looking at your ankles, it's the posture of shame. So I just was like this, and I'm kind of digging around. I pull out a few dollars, and I put it on the counter, and she goes, have a nice day. And as I'm walking out, all these, these thoughts are going through my head about this lady. You know, it wasn't so much even about, like, what I had done, which... You know, I felt some shame for, but I also it was, it was this, this human being that I just interacted with because my first reaction when I left that place was, oh, I just hope I never have to see her again, right? God, just help me not to run into her at Walmart or, you know, oh man, God forbid she goes to my church and that was kind of like popping in my, and I'm like, oh no, what if, what if I need to invite her to Easter? You know, like all these weird thoughts in my mind and I'm like, that was a real human being that all of a sudden because of my guilt in shame, there was this wall of separation. I had broken, I had broken potential community, right? And we, we see this in a lot of different ways, and um, I see this in my life played out all the, all the time. So what is it for you? What is your response when you're, when you're confronted with your guilt? See, here's what happens. Most of us, we, what we do is we avoid getting caught. And when we can't avoid getting caught, what we do is we avoid the one who caught us. You see that in your life? When we, we avoid getting caught, and that typically doesn't work out. Most of the time, you know, our shame is showing somewhere. Like, the, the word is out. We've made a mistake. Somehow, the truth finds a way. And then, and then we, we know that we're guilty. We know that we're found out by this person or these people. And then the next step is to avoid the ones who caught us. Or for some people, they spend their whole life dealing with God in this way. First, it's like, man, I don't want to get caught, but then there's the realization God sort of knows everything, right? He's seen everything I have done, and he knows everything that I will do that I'm guilty of. And then the next step for a lot of people is that, well, I'm just going to avoid the one who caught me. I'm going to avoid God at all costs. I'm going to, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around Christians. I don't want to have conversations about faith and spirituality. I just don't even want to think about it because I have this sense of guilt in my life. Some people, when they deal with guilt, they uh, just come up with excuses. Uh, this is a very common way of dealing with guilt. Maybe it's simply like, well, I just didn't know any better. Uh, that's, that's, that's sort of a, a way of sort of lightening the impact of your guilt. Or for you, maybe it was, well, I was drunk. I had a few too many drinks. So for you, that's a way of, of sort of making an excuse to lighten the load of your guilt. Or maybe you just would say, well, I just didn't know. I didn't know it would turn into this. I didn't know it would go this far. I didn't know it would be this big of a deal. I just, I just didn't know. But at the core of all of this, in dealing with our guilt, we need to kind of figure out, where does this sense of guilt come from? Like, where does it come from? And we need to deal with our souls. And, and, and really, this is, this is an identity question that I want you to ask yourself this morning. Ask yourself this question. 
Are you a mistaker or are you a sinner? Because this conversation really can't move beyond this until we sort of deal with the reality of the guilt that we feel, which is that it actually comes from somewhere. So for you, when you think about the choices that you've made or the decisions that you've made, do you think that they are mistakes, sort of temporary lapses of judgment that have nothing to do with your identity, nothing to do with your soul? They didn't come from anywhere. Or do you see them as sort of a product of something that's broken inside of you? And see, what we read in Scripture is that the sin in our lives comes out of the life of a sinner. And for me, I see that in my life all the time. Have you ever just kind of had a thought, maybe it's even during church, and been like, where did that come from? Or have you ever spoken something to someone, and it came out of your mouth, and you're just trying to like, ah, I have to pull it back. But it's out there. Now everybody hears it, you know. And then you're thinking, where did that come from? The answer is, the hard truth is, it came from your heart. That's where it came from. That it didn't just, wasn't a temporary lapse of judgment. It wasn't simply just like a little mistake. It was actually a product of something that's deeply broken down inside of you. This is why Jesus went to the cross. He didn't go to the cross just to kind of fix your mistakes. He went to the cross to take dead people and make them alive. There's something dead and broken down inside of my soul, and that's what Jesus wants to heal. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, Brian, I do a lot of really good things. I do this ministry. I I give a lot of money. I'm very involved with the things of God. But but James says this in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law, but listen to this, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So that's really bad news for self-righteous people, right? That's really bad news because every single one of us have probably failed in at least one thing. You might, be, you might be like, well, Brian, but look at all the good that I've done. But if we're honest, we've all failed in at least one thing. And, and this is not like a popular, this is not a popular message. Like some of you have already checked out from this sermon. Like the second that you hear, well, you're not a good person. Because that is not what we're taught in society. We're taught there are no bad people, only bad parents, right? Or bad circumstances or whatever. You were, you were dealt a bad hand, but you're not really a bad person. But I don't know that we'd apply that to everyone, right? We all have a different sense of judgment of who is, well, you know, not everybody, but that, that's definitely a bad person, right? That's, that's a bad human being, but not me. And so we like to be the judges of ourselves. We like to determine right and wrong. But the scriptures are very clear. It kind of levels the playing field that all of us are actually sinners. That we're not just mistakers, we're, we're sinners. And the scriptures are very clear. Luke 18, 19, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Which is interesting. A lot of people who aren't Christians like Jesus, but then Jesus says stuff like that. That's like, that's pretty offensive. He just said, nobody in the room is good. Romans 3.12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Dang it. I thought I did some good stuff. Not one of us. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man. And so I want to draw a distinction between guilt and shame a little bit. These are two words that get confused a lot. You see, guilt is simply that I did something bad. I did bad. And I think all of us in the room would say, okay, Brian, fine. I, 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 maybe I think I'm a good person, but I have done some bad things. There is some guilt. I am, 
I am guilty of some, some things in life. But shame says I am bad. Guilt says I did bad. Shame says I am bad. It's an identity statement. It's a statement of there's something bad within my soul, within my heart. This is a product of something that's broken inside of me. And the thing is, apart from Jesus, here's the reality. We have both. We both do bad things that come from the the, the brokenness inside of our souls. And even, I would say even in, in, in the church, Christians, we struggle with this. We struggle with this reality of grace, the reality that Jesus came to rescue us out of this, and that the only way to move forward is to receive it as a free gift. And so instead of receiving the free gift of grace, what we do is we hide our shame underneath a veneer of religious activity. We just stay busy. We cover it all up, and we get to work, right? And I will say that some of the hardest working Christians that you know feel the most shame. Some of the, the, the leaders that you follow, people that you see that are very, um, very busy doing the work of God feel some of the greatest shame in their lives. And again, like we got to deal with this, this struggle because we've turned into sort of a shovel for shame. We're doing these really good things for the wrong reasons. And I don't want to minimize hard work. In fact, I think hard work's a really important thing. Um, my dad was always a really hardworking man, really respect his work ethic. And so... Hard work is good, and in fact, hard work is a product of someone who's been rescued out of their shame, right? It's certainly something that comes out of the life of somebody who who has received the love of God is that we start working, but we work for different reasons. We work both, we don't work for the love of God, we work from the love of God, already given to us as a free gift. I was reading a book this week about leadership, and uh, I'm going through this with some men in our church, and one of the quotes I thought was great He's speaking about how powerful it is when people work hard and that as Christians, we should be hardworking people. And he says this, he says that we should work like someone else is working 24 hours a day to take it away from you. Which I read that, I was like, yeah, I like that, right? Like do your job like someone else is working 24 hours a day to take your job from you, right? Hey, take care of your marriage like somebody else is working 24 hours a day to, to steal your marriage, you know, maybe, maybe we'd do things different. We'd work a little harder if we had that philosophy. And that's fine until you apply that to your salvation. I mean, there are people, I think, that literally imagine God like that. Like, I'm going to hand you grace, but then I'm actually going to work 24 hours a day to take it away from you. Like, you view God like he's trying to remove the free gift of grace instead of handing it to you and saying, hey, once you are redeemed, once you are saved, you are in the family. And that can't be changed by a bad day, by a bad decision, by some some words that come out of your mouth. No, once you have received my grace, you are changed forever. And when you receive that as a gift, it changes everything. But maybe some, even some well-meaning pastor one day told you all the things that you should do. And you walked away from the church with sort of a half gospel. With all of what your life should be like, without the free gift of grace that propels all of this life change. I mean, some, some, somebody was like, well, here, a, a good Christian should go to church. A good Christian should tithe. A good Christian shouldn't cuss. A good Christian shouldn't drink. You got all the, all the shoulds in your life, but I will tell you this, I think a lot of people have been should right out of the church. Because they've gotten half of the truth. That yes, Jesus wants to change your life, but he wants to start by changing your heart, 
by giving you a free gift of grace that propels all the work that he wants to do in you. And here's the truth of the, of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. And it, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. That Jesus didn't go to the cross to tell you what to do. He went to the cross to tell you it is done. It's finished. I've done it. Like everything that you should have done, I've done it myself. All the good deeds that you should do for the rest of your life, I've already done it. And I've accomplished this on the cross. All you can do, all you can do is just stand there in your brokenness and let God love you. And that's the step that we all need to take. It's not, I'm going to fix myself up, I'm going to clean myself up, and then maybe I'm ready for this. No, you just, you stand there in your brokenness, acknowledging that you're not just a mistaker, but you're a sinner, and you just let God love you. And you guys, that is actually good news. That's a place that you can move forward from. And I want to share a story from some friends of mine uh, who grew up in a situation where there was just a lot of shame. And it shaped the way that they view God. It shaped the way that they viewed themselves. And it was twisted and it was messed up. But they came through it and they know grace in ways that has changed their life. So check out their story. My name is John Bolstridge, my wife Emily. We have lived up here in Alaska for eight years and been at ACF for eight years. So I grew up in a remote Christian community in northern British Columbia. Um, the goal of these communities was to separate from the world and somehow gain spiritual perfection outside of the influence of the evils of the world. So I grew up in South Georgia on one of these communities. So these communes were started by a group of people in South Florida back in the 70s called the Move of God. They decided to separate themselves from the church, basically cut themselves off from a lot of worldly influence. All of our schooling was done by the parents and the elders. All of our meals were together. We all lived on the same property. All of our influence came from within the community, the elders or the leaders of the communes. There was kind of a hierarchy of ministry, the high up ministry, which went, then went down to the local ministry and elders, and then there was the people. And that was how we were taught that the flow of God speaking to people went. You had to go through the eldership back up in order to hear from God. For me, I think the thing that really got my attention that something was wrong was when my mom died of cancer. Um, I began to realize that I was feeling guilty for that somehow her death was like a consequence of sin or something or that punishment or something. And I just began to realize that I didn't really have a good understanding of Jesus' sacrifice. Perfection was so stressed in how we grew up that, you know, I always felt like you had to add something more onto Jesus' sacrifice and that it wasn't enough. Then I just started seeing all kinds of other things that didn't line up with, like, a, a loving God and, like, a gracious God because we didn't hear much about grace and love. I would go to the services and we would hear that... Mm -hmm. Um, God doesn't love you. 
because you still have sin in your life and he hates sin. And if you have sin, he doesn't love you. God hates you. Um, that was over, coming over the pulpit. We were shamed if we went and asked and tried to, to question things because we weren't high up enough. We, we weren't hearing from God appropriately. And so eight years ago, we, were, we started looking and asking God to lead us somewhere else. I said, I can't lead a family. I can't raise my children in this environment anymore. We came up to Alaska in January and visited my brother-in-law in Wasilla and went to Church on the Rock, actually. And my mind was blown. I'd never been to a church outside of my church where I saw God moving. I hadn't really gone to many other churches. And we were like, God is moving in Alaska. And that was in January, and we were in Alaska, April 2nd, just sold everything and moved to Alaska. <laughs> and during that process, we came back and told some people we were moving. We were basically shunned from the, kind of the minute that we announced that we were leaving, so... The first week we came to ACF, my mind was blown that there was a community of believers that would be open about their sin, that would be not shaming each other, and like when they found out about some sin in each other's lives, wouldn't like spread it around throughout the community, <laughs> you know, as gossip. Like I had never heard or seen that before, and I've really changed in the way that I've I view the gospel and view God and just have learned to love people and learn that God is love. He's not about condemnation and shame in my life. He's not there with a big stick ready to beat me over the head every time I make a mistake. And um, as a community of believers, we are truly in this together. We are here for each other to, to uh, point each other to Christ and to, to bring our community together. So my my life has been radically changed since coming out of that past environment and being at ACF and being in a community of believers that cares about each other and cares about their community. So I don't know where you see yourself um, in their story. Maybe you're like, man, I didn't grow up on a commune, but uh, there's some parts of that that you really connect with in this feeling of Man, that, that statement of God's just carrying around a big stick, just looking for a reason to hit you. I think a lot of people have lived that way. Maybe you have. And your image of God, whatever you view God as, is going to be played out in your life, right? And so when God carries a big stick, you've got to get to work, right? You've got to make sure that you're busy, right? Jesus is watching everybody look busy. Instead of seeing him as a loving God, as seen in the person of Jesus and crucified on a cross. When you see that being who God is, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we have all of our questions answered about who God is. So Jesus is this self-sacrificial, loving, loving being who died for all of us. And so when you see God that way, you start to live differently. And now all of a sudden, all the things that you do, all the change that God wants to make in your life, all the good deeds that come out of your life, you do them for a different reason, right? I mean, isn't love 
so much of a greater motivator than shame. Isn't it great? I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been shamed into something by uh, a parent, or maybe you've tried to shame your kids into something, not even knowing it. But it's very temporary, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't change people long-term. You can change their behavior. You certainly can't change their attitude or change their heart. But love changes everyone. Love can, love can change the, the hardest of hearts and motivate us to do the greatest of things. And as we close, I want to talk about two kinds of guilt that Jesus wants to deal with so that we can take a step forward in this. And the first kind of guilt is positional. And this is the reality that that thing that, that keeps coming up in your heart when I speak about shame, whatever that is, that actually happened. Like, this isn't us sweeping under the rug. Jesus didn't die on a cross to wink at your sin or act like it never happened. No, he wanted to actually deal with it. And so positionally, we stand before God uh, as guilty people, guilty of our sin. We failed, whether it be in in one way or a thousand different ways. That, That means that our relationship with God is broken. It doesn't matter how many different things. And so we need to deal with that positional guilt. There's also emotional guilt. This is when we feel the weight of what we've done. This is important as well. So not only do we know that we're guilty, but we feel guilty. We realize, man, um, that really affected somebody's life when I said that. Or uh, that decision changes, changed the trajectory of my life. Whatever it may be, we feel the guilt. The, the good news about Jesus, the good news about resurrection is that Jesus deals with both. He deals with both the position and the emotion. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. That's really good news, right? I mean, no more condemnation. That's a legal term. Like when you're guilty, you are condemned to whatever it is that that guilty person deserves. Instead, there's no condemnation. Your position before God has changed from guilty to redeemed before God. So you are now, as a, as a Christ follower, when you receive Jesus, you stand pure and holy, guiltless before God. But then what about the emotion? Because I guarantee you, every Christian in the room here has felt guilt, even after they've given their hearts to Jesus, right? We've felt that guilt. Now, what do we do with that? Is that bad? Should we not feel guilt? No, I actually think that there's a good sort of guilt that we're to feel after we receive Jesus, and it's something called remorse. If you don't feel a certain kind of guilt or remorse for your sin after you follow follow Jesus, you probably don't understand the gospel. You probably don't understand that you and I were the reason that Jesus went to the cross. We need to spend some time on Good Friday considering all that we did do and still continue to do that looks nothing like the redemption of Jesus. And from that place, we actually see how good God is, man. Like how great his grace is. So there's a healthy sort of remorse. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, And now I rejoice, not because you were made sorrowful, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you felt the sorrow that God had intended. Listen to that. There is a sorrow that God intends you to feel. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Do you see the difference? Like your friends that don't know Jesus, they feel sorrow, but their sorrow leads them nowhere. It just, I feel bad for what, I, what I've done. What do I do with that? I don't know. Hope I feel better. Make some apologies. Try to move on. Try to better myself. That's what most people do. They start digging. They start digging. Just make myself better. But this 
Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Remember that? That's how we get out of this shame cycle. Repentance, a change of your mind, a change of the way that you view yourself and the way that you view God and the way you view others. And it can change your life. And this remorse, it's healthy. It's not the same as shame. Because remorse says, I made a mess. But shame says, I am the mess. Remorse says, I'm worried about how I hurt you. But shame says, I'm worried about how you see me. Remorse leads to confession and repentance. Shame leads to hiding and retaliation. Do you see the difference? Like there's a godly remorse that we are to to spend time considering. And, And honestly, every week when we do communion, we should spend a moment going, wow, Christ died for that and that. Oh yeah, and that. Man, that's a mess, but praise God. Praise God for the sufficiency of the cross. Praise God that that Jesus was enough. Praise God that I don't have to assist Christ in my salvation. It is done. It's done. And so now I get to walk in freedom and let him change me. I get to walk in freedom and do all the things that he's calling me to do and be the man or woman he's calling me to be and live in joy in that. Hebrews 12 too, this is such a powerful passage about the cross and about what it was about. And we know that the cross was the most shameful death that the Romans could come up with. And they stripped naked, presented before the crowds, hundreds, thousands of people watching you and walking by you, spitting on you. It was shameful. But think about this. Jesus didn't just feel their shame. He felt ours. And it says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So think about that. Jesus, sure, he felt some pain, but the thing that he felt the most was the shame. And what you see in the moments of before Jesus' death is where there was such agony in his, in his heart and in his, in his mind was really when he felt the shame and the sin of humanity come upon him. Think about that. Think about what happened in this moment. For Jesus, the pure became unpure. The generous became the greedy The committed became the adulterous. The loving became the hateful. The righteous became the self-righteous. The forgiving became unforgiveness. What would cause someone to do such a thing? Love. Christ loved you. And so you have a choice to make today. You have a decision to make. What will you hold on to? Will you continue to hold on to your shame? Because you cannot continually hold on to your shame and the cross at the same time. You have to make a decision. Will you hold on to your shame or will you hold on to the cross? Because we just read that Jesus conquered that shame. He felt it all. He despised it and he dealt with it. So would you, uh, would you stand and pray? I want to pray for us today as we close uh, in, in a time of worship together. God, thank you so much for your grace on us. Father, forgive us for the ways that we've tried to assist you in our salvation. Um, God, I pray for all of us that we would be made extremely aware of the free gift of grace today. God, we don't deserve it but you give it freely. 
So God, I pray instead of being a shovel for shame that we would simply receive today in not a way that cheapens your grace or tosses it aside, but in a way that causes us to seek you more, to love you more, to come after you more. God, free us up. I pray that we would be physical representations for the world around us of what resurrection looks like, that we would live lives of resurrection every day. God, heal our hearts, remove the shame, pour out your grace on us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.